Welcome to Only Trying to Help, the podcast where we try to help you be helpful to other people. My name is Kate Watson, and I'm always happy when I have a guest, and a special guest today is my good friend, Ro. Ro, would you like to introduce yourself a little bit? Sure. Kate, thanks for having me. Um, My name's Ro. I am a clinical psychologist based out of Albuquerque, New Mexico, Um, and I see in my clinical practice um, both a really wide variety of patients, but also a wide variety of, you know, of, of behaviors that people may think are helpful, but maybe sometimes have the opposite effect. So we were doing, <laughs> we were doing like a little pre-recording, like, okay, what do you want to talk about? And before we were recording this, we decided, you know, it might be helpful to do this, this conversation for the podcast listeners about alcohol use, social settings when alcohol is present, how to be a good friend to someone who might be trying to cut down or stop drinking. And you were like, Kate, that's my jam. So, <laughs> so I, I'm really said glad. it just like that too. <laughs> I think you did. I think you said that's my jam. That's my uh, jam. And I, I think, I think people are going to be interested in this row. So I'm going to let you begin with like, you said there's a particular thing about alcohol use that really like gets you excited to talk about. And this is what your dissertation Mm -hmm. was on. Do you want to kind of kick us off? Sure. So um, not that I'm like coming at this all Nancy Reagan like or anything like that. um, (laughs) But one of the things that people who are in early recovery often really struggle with is how to navigate social situations where alcohol is there. In short, they don't really know how to say no. Um, They, feel hyper evaluated. They feel like people are watching their every step. They feel like people are counting their drinks. They feel like it will look strange if they do drink. It will look strange if they don't drink. And so these sorts of social situations can become really loaded. And so what Kate and I were talking about before we started is that for people who have maybe a more neutral relationship with alcohol or substances, um, they don't really like tend to orient too terribly much to like what other people are doing. Um, you know, if, if you're a person that has, you know, the occasional glass of wine with dinner or, you know, at, at a cocktail party or something like that, it's unlikely that you're going to think anything is out of the ordinary if somebody declines, because there's a lot of reasons why people might decline a, a, an alcoholic beverage. But for people that are in recovery, particularly early recovery, you know, there seems to be this really pervasive feeling that like all eyes are on them. And that if you say no to a drink, it's because the only reason that you could possibly say no is because you're in recovery and that that is every, what everybody immediately think, starts to think about. So that's something that I got really interested in is sort of like, um, well, why is it that it seems that so p- few people have kind of like a neutral relationship with alcohol and how can we make the navigating these sorts of very common situations that really are kind of unavoidable, um, make them a little bit less loaded and a little bit less anxiety. That makes a lot of sense to me. So when you say people who have a neutral relationship with alcohol, you're describing that person who's, you know, at a party, has a glass of wine, and they're just maybe mm-hmm. like, I guess what, what most of us might call like a social drinker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, somebody for whom 
drinking has never caused them any particular problems. They've never, you know, they, they've ne it's never been suggested to them by anybody in their lives. Like, you know, hey, I think you drink too much at parties. Um, they've maybe never had consequences like a DUI. They've yeah. never been told by their doctor, like, you know, so this is kind of the, the level of drinking that you just shared with me is kind of kind of creeping more towards the hazardous level. Uh, what do you think about that? <laughs> they would never say it like that. Kate and I would say it like that to somebody because of our training, but most medical providers don't have that kind of um, necessarily like that kind of autonomous uh, approach. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like just for people whom have essentially never really had an issue with it. Sure. Well, and, and that's, that's helpful because I think even if you're not, okay, I'm thinking about the people listening, even if you're not sitting there as a person who is trying to cut down on your alcohol use. And so maybe you yourself don't have this concern necessarily. I think this resonates because listen, even I have sometimes thought to myself, I'm going to go to this party today and I don't really feel like drinking but if I don't drink, people will wonder why. And mm. I am, I always make the assumption they're going to think I'm pregnant. <laughs> so right. uh -huh. I'm always like, I better have a drink or everyone will think I'm pregnant. And what you're saying <laughs> is not really, Kate, no one's paying attention that much. Well, pr they're, they're probably not paying attention that much. Um, one, two, I mean, it's, I mean, who cares if you're pregnant, right? And I mean, they can they can wonder that all day long. Um, and ostensibly, like if they saw you in a social situation two weeks later where you were drinking, then they would be like, oh, I thought she was pregnant. Yes, she's not. You know, um, if they even were thinking about it that much. Or I mean, you know, the other reasons that people don't drink that have nothing to do with recovery, like oftentimes medication might be like, you know, maybe their own medication doesn't mix well with alcohol. Um, they, they might be driving, um, you know, alcohol might give them headaches, you know, et cetera. There's a lot of reasons that don't necessarily have to do with, um, you know, wanting to modify your particular level of drinking. Or, I mean, and I think just kind of like the thing that really gets overlooked, kind of what you said at the beginning, like, I really don't necessarily feel like drinking today. You don't even really need a reason. Um, and, but people really do feel like that others are sort of like oriented towards that. Well, I, I, as I've admitted, I have felt that way. And so it's mm -hmm. sort of freeing to know that very likely people are not paying that much attention to what I'm doing. Yeah, uh, that's freeing. And, and again, I think that there are themes here that are helpful to people, even if you're not someone who's necessarily in that early stage of recovery. Um, so I think there's a lot to think about. And I guess, you know, more likely the people tuning into this podcast would be that neutral drinker who's hosting the party, right? Mm -hmm. And and they want to be the good, helpful friend to folks mm -hmm. who are coming. More likely the people listening right now are the ones saying, well, gosh, if I'm having a social, you know, uh, gathering at my house, I want to make sure everybody feels comfortable. So mm -hmm. have you ever kind of looked at that side of the relationship? You know, the, the perspective of the neutral, um, neutral drinking friend who might just want to be a good friend to the person in early recovery. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I think it's also important to that people want to be to kind of, um, think about kind of like competing, competing desires, which are sometimes competing and sometimes not, which I realize it's just kind of like 
I just said some like word salady shit to you and I'm sorry. <laughs> like, <but> basically, <laughs> like, basically, like, um, sometimes the things, you know, people want to be a good friend, like you said, and they, they want to be helpful to, especially to their friends that are in recovery. They also want to be good hosts. Um, right. And so the idea is that like, you know, somebody comes into your house and like they leave, you know, happy and satisfied, like they had a great time. And sometimes maybe in the case of people who are in early recovery, what they think of as being as, as a good host may be in conflict with what might be, uh, you know, uh, something that a good friend does, if that makes sense, but sometimes not, you know, right. Yeah. Cause like maybe being a good host um, and a good friend means like, you know, you have some like sparkling water or something like that available. Um, so you're saying that sometimes being a good friend and being a good host are the same thing. And mm-hmm. sometimes, sometimes they might not feel like the same thing, but one right. idea that I heard you throw out was like making sure you have like a non-alcoholic option and just have it yeah. available. Like not that you need to make a big announcement about it, exactly. but that it's there. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think, you know, one, since you were asking maybe like what would actually be helpful rather than like, you know, like, well, okay. So like Kate and I both have like a mutual friend in common, Terry Moyers. And so and I think the fact that Terry Moyers is trained in, you know, alcohol research is probably why she, why she does this. But, you know, I went to an engagement at her house a couple of years ago and, um, and well, after she was done making snarky comments about the fact that like, it was the one social engagement that I chose to attend that year and how she was glad it was at her house. So, like, um, and then she said, can I offer you a drink? And I said, sure. And so she walked me to where the drinks were and there was a wide variety of both alcohol and non-alcoholic options. And she was like, just help yourself to whatever you like, as opposed to like, can I get you a beer or can I get you a glass of wine and enforcing the person to then say, well, do you have um, a soda instead or, or worse, do you have anything non-alcoholic? Because then if people feel pressured, that might be just something they blurt out and then they feel like they're making an issue of it. Right. I like that. I'm also, see, this is why I love the podcast because I, I sit here and I reflect on times that I wish I could go back to now, because I'm going to tell you, I, I like to have, I like to be a host. I like to host parties and, Mm. and I'm also like, uh, sort of stupidly organized, like, like, (laughs) right. Organized to a fault or definitely organized to the point where I make people uncomfortable. (laughs) Sure. And you come into my house for a party and usually it's like, okay, all of the alcohol is over here to my right. And then all of the non-alcoholic beverages are over here to my left. And to me, that's just organized, right? <laughs> like that's, uh, that's just neat and tidy. But now but to I'm, me, it's segregation, Kate. <laughs> yeah, well, now I'm realizing I'm forcing people to like take a walk one direction or another. And that's calling more attention to things than is necessary. Um, so maybe Terry's approach uh, and by the way, it would be my dream if Terry listened to this. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> but what's your problem? <laughs> I'm gonna forever now call this pulling a Terry. Maybe in the pulling future, maybe in the future, I'll pull a Terry and mm-hmm. I will kind of just leave it all out and available and say, help yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, what's mine is yours. Make yourself at home. Mm-hmm. And that way there isn't a big, uh, a big issue made out of, oh, did you go to the left or did you go to the right? Yeah, it's just sensitivity, I think. And, and like, for even though, um, you know, like what we're talking about is that like, 
yeah, people really aren't necessarily paying attention to like what other people are doing. The fact is, is that people in early recovery do very much feel that. And they, they feel that sort of hyper evaluation and they feel that like, Hey, if I grab, uh, you know, if I grab a, a LaCroix, everyone's going to be like, why are you drinking that? Why aren't you drinking? I mean, I mean, and with, it's kind of understandable, especially if they were kind of like the party person before, yeah, right. Yeah, you know, yeah. the, and all of a sudden they're not drinking or like they're, they don't necessarily want people to think that they're pregnant, et cetera. But, you know, but being able to do things discreetly and sort of ma- navigate their own recovery without sort of having to disclose prematurely or disclose in a way that they're uncomfortable can often be, um, really helpful for relieving anxiety of being in social situations. Yeah. Well, and again, you know, I'm even thinking about times when like, maybe I was trying to lose a little bit of weight or something. And I thought, oh, if I go to this party and it's so-and-so's birthday and I don't have a piece of cake, everyone's going to be like, why aren't you having cake? You're, right. you're making me think, no, they're not. <laughs> mm-hmm. no, no one cares if I have cake yeah. or not. Um, I mean, they might be like, let's be clear. Like we don't live in a world where people are always the most respectful, but I mean, the fact remains is that you still have the right to have cake or not have cake and people may or may not wonder about it, but you still have the right to make your own choice regardless of what people are going to think. And you also have the right to talk about that or not, you know, you can, you know, you're not required to justify your dietary habits or changes to anybody. Um, if it's not going to be helpful to you at any point in your process. Yeah. I mean, and that's probably the bigger point, of course. Um, this is so interesting to me. And you said that one of the things you really, you know, became interested in was helping people navigate those social situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wonder, is there anything else you want to tell us about that? Well, I think like, I do think that it's important to have, um, a wide variety of options available. Like if you're a host or something, um, you know, like, like, you know, like Kate, I enjoy hosting. Like I'm, I'm a Mexican lady. Like we, you know, we have very specific ideas about hospitality. Trust me when I say that there, nothing would be more mortifying than if somebody left my house hungry or thirsty. Like if I ran out of food, I would literally move. Like I would like literally leave town. Like I'd be like, I can never show my face again. So, if so I never I'll, hear from you again, I will assume that's what happened. She biffed it on a party. She was throwing. So, yeah. Somebody didn't get as many potatoes as they wanted, and she and she had to go like she had to go jump off a cliff. <laughs> like, we hardly knew her. So, yeah. so I think having, you know, having different options available is good. I think also um, not pressing the issue too. Like, I mean, I, I think it's what's probably become clear as we've been talking is that like, if somebody, you know, does maybe somebody that like normally that, or that you think would normally like go for like a craft beer or something like that, if maybe they do reach for the Sprite or the, or the Coke or something like that, or the the sparkling water, like it's, you know, it's probably clear at this point that like maybe saying like, Hey, why aren't you drinking? Isn't the most helpful thing. Um, Mm -hmm. But really just like letting people be like letting people just kind of like sit and enjoy themselves in, you know, in in a social environment and sort of get practice at what it feels like to be a, a sober person in a social environment, essentially. Yeah. Well, and I think part of what's helpful here is, yes, it may be obvious by now that that we're discouraging anyone from saying, why aren't you drinking? But Mm -hmm. what might be less obvious and worth addressing is 
you might not, you might also want to avoid, you know, a big throwing confetti and wow, look at you. Mm-hmm, isn't, exactly. it, isn't it great? I'm so mm-hmm. happy that you're having a Sprite. Like maybe just let the person be. <laughs> exactly. And so one of the things that I, um, that I discovered when I was doing my, this type of, this line of research is that um, really a lot of people just want like discretion, exactly like what you just said. So something that can be really helpful um, is kind of the idea of passing, which is like, say somebody gets like, you know, a Sprite or like, uh, you know, a, a, a sparkling water, something clear, but if you pour it into a glass with ice and you have like a lime wedge or a lemon wedge, it looks just like a gin and tonic, right? Yeah. So, and if you already have a drink in your hand, people are unlikely to offer you another one. And so that's something that people have often, I think a strategy that people often kind of cling to. Um, and it, what's funny is like, you know, there's often this sort of like, well, isn't that lying? Like, well, who the hell cares if it is? Like, and, yeah. you know, and it's, it's so interesting to me that people I think feel as though they need to give some sort of justification or almost an apology for like, you know, reducing their, reducing the drinking or being sober. And um, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that to get into kind of like a sort of eggheadedy, jargony type of place that we probably don't have time for today. But, you know, it is something important to think about that like, you know, you do have autonomy and like, even if like, even if you aren't working on changing your drinking behavior, you know, it, you're still okay, allowed to have like a glass of sparkling water with no booze in it if you want to. Yeah. Well, and when you bring up the folks who say, well, isn't that lying or isn't that misleading or that's mm-hmm. not authentic, you know, mm-hmm. it, I guess, and, and you're right, we don't really have time for this, but like, mm-hmm. it, it does make me wonder, you know, it, it, it raises the question of who owes whom what, right? Uh, and, and, and maybe no one owes anyone anything, but if there's anyone who, who has a responsibility here, it's the host, not the guest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so too. And, you know, and so kind of back to our original um, question of like, how do we help? Um, How do we be like these sort of like well-meaning and lovely people that we want to be and make our house comfortable for people that are like, you know, that may be trying to navigate something difficult. And I think it's just kind of like meeting them where they are and sort of making it a place that is comfortable for them to be sober. Because one of the other things that we know about alcohol recovery, particularly early alcohol recovery, is that it is isolating. Um, And people feel that they will have to get rid of all of their friends, essentially. They're going to have to get all new friends. The reality is, is that sometimes to some degree that that can kind of be true. I mean, you know, if your friends are all like super heavy drinkers and, you know, you can't be around them because it's highly triggering, then yeah, like, you know, you probably are going to, some of the work that to maintain that recovery is probably going to be in the form of developing your social network and expanding it and finding some sober friends. But certainly finding situations that you can navigate as a sober person without, like you said, having like, you know, the, you know, three piece orchestra, like celebrating or like (laughs) having it being made of freaking federal case, like is a lot more comforting, I think, than it to, you know, for people with just kind of like a neutral, you know, relationship, it, it doesn't even really register, but for people whom this is genuinely a struggle, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to overstate how comforting that can be. Yeah. You know, a couple of years ago, um, I reached out to a friend of mine who, uh, 
well, I'm, I'm hesitating because I don't want to give away his identity. So some things mm-hmm. I was about to say, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm deciding not to say. But a couple of years ago, I reached out to a friend and I said, hey, do you want to get together for beers this week? And mm-hmm. he said, I'd love to get together, but um, I'm not drinking right now. And, mm-hmm. and I, st- and we were texting. So I, w- I started to text back. That's no problem. Let's. And then like, I drew a blank. I was like, let's, mm-hmm. let's like, I, I thought to myself, beers is what I do with this guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? So I was like, it feels weird to say, let's get coffee. We would never get coffee. And mm-hmm. it, it was for me a moment to realize this is not his problem. If I can't mm-hmm. think of something to do with it. <laughs> That doesn't involve beer. That's on me. So that's when I came up with let's get tacos. <laughs> so, nice. So nice. we got together and had tacos, but it, it, it really was a moment of pause for me. Yeah. And I thought some friends would say, well, I can't hang out with this guy anymore. And I mm-hmm. thought to myself, I-, I need to take a look at myself. If I can't mm-hmm. think of what else to put in this blank, except beers. Um, yeah. So we got tacos. And I think you just hit upon like, you know, one of the most difficult things I think for people in recovery to navigate, which is that literally imagining a life without this being a part of it is just, it's kind of foreign, right? Like, you know, like just the idea of like, you know, you go to a barbecue, you have a beer, like you go out to dinner, you have a glass of wine. Like, I mean, it's just so woven into people's lives. And so kind of like, unfurling that is you know requires a a lot of kind of like reflection and commitment and so just finding situations where it's like it's not so loaded and it's not so and people are welcoming and people will say like hey do you want to get a taco because believe you me that will get me to do almost anything (laughs) (laughs) well yeah I mean it's as the friend here it was my job to say you know you mean more to me than just being somebody I get beers with so (laughs) You know, if it means I have to do a little bit of work and by little bit of work, Ro, I mean like five seconds of thought, Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I have to give five seconds of work to this, then that's perfectly reasonable and you're worth it to me. But it mm-hmm. also gave me a moment of compassion for him because I thought mm-hmm. if I'm frozen for a second on what to do with this guy who I would normally get beers with, imagine what he's going through as he's embarking on this, you know, Mm -hmm. life with no alcohol, um, I thought I only have to experience this discomfort for a few seconds, but Mm -hmm. he may be encountering this in many, many situations. And so, you know, it just gave me a sensitivity toward what, you know, one small Mm -hmm. taste of what it might be like for him. Right. And you chose, and, and you chose to kind of like, turn toward him and like be welcoming and be and it sounds like you were like not weird about it at all like you weren't like hey well, what the fuck's your problem <laughs> like 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 this is what we do like anything like that like you know it doesn't sound like you know you made a an issue of it you just said great let's do this instead he, and he was probably I mean I, I don't know him obviously like I mean my guess is that if this was an an issue of like trying to reduce alcohol use because of like problems or you know wanting to be in recovery then he was probably really relieved um that it was just like that's as far as like the conversation went because you know I, I think that at the heart of it like people you know people want to talk about it with the ones that they trust and and the the people in their circumstances 
but they want to be able to choose when that happens and they want to be able to choose how to do it just like any of us right like we all have our private lives and we all want to talk about things with our loved ones at our own kind of you know comfort level you know our our own you know our, our own ability to do so yeah, I mean, I can't read his mind, so I don't know right. this, but I mm-hmm. I wondered if he was breathing a little sigh of relief that I didn't respond with why. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, or how come, what happened, mm-hmm. you know, and, and again, I don't know, I, I, I can't read his mind, but I did wonder, mm-hmm. is he going, Phew, thank goodness she didn't ask why, because I don't feel like talking mm-hmm. about this right now. Instead, I just right. say, well, let's do tacos instead. Um mm-hmm. And, and, and I think, you know, that might be a message for the helpers who are listening right now. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes a helpful thing you can do is just to resist your own urge to pry. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. And so like when I did, you know, when I initially started this line of research, like, well, you know, you know, I was listening to study tapes from like a, you know, a women's alcohol study and, you know, listening to kind of like what people you know, people's concerns and sort of, because drink refusal training is part of a manual guided treatment, CBT for alcohol use disorders. It usually happens in session eight, um, which in my opinion is, you know, it's kind of too late. (laughs) Like, I mean, it's like, if you're seeing somebody every week, like ostensibly eight weeks in, that's probably not the first time it's come up, but, you know, but, um, and that was kind of one of the things that I brought up um, whenever I ended up writing the paper, but, um, and, you know, a lot of people are just like, well, what if they ask questions? Like, what if they, you know, and, and it's not even, and so of course, like, if it's like a stranger, then like, you know, you kind of naturally bristle, but like, this was a friend of yours and like, and this is what people are, were kind of saying. It's just like, I don't really, I don't want to be mean because they're, they're my friends and like, they mean well, like, but like, I also just don't want to talk about it. Yeah. I I'm, I'm pausing on that, it, that there is something called drink refusal training. Like I'll bet, yeah. I'll bet the listeners are sitting there right now thinking, I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I'm imagining anyone out there who's ever been in this social situation where you're refusing something, whether it's alcohol mm-hmm. or the birthday cake or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll imagine we've all been there where we've kind of wondered like, why is this so hard for me? And mm-hmm. it might, it might be helpful to know now that this is like a training people go through. And if you haven't had yeah. the training, it's going to be hard. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, this is one of the kind of um, the active ingredients of CBT for alcohol use disorder. So one of the one of the interventions that is known to be effective. And do you want to hear something really interesting about like this particular role play? Because it's a role play. Basically, um, when I think it was percent, it was it was on drinking days. So like doing like the follow ups at like proximal and distal outcomes. So basically, like, you know, a month after they get out of treatment versus like nine months after they get out of treatment, do those changes kind of, are, are they sustained? So what was interesting is that the people that actually had this role play, even if it was simple, even if it was just like a, you know, let's just practice it together, I'll be you, you be me. If they had that role play, then on their drinking days, the mean number of drinks went from like, I think five to three, which is actually like, that's actually the difference between a binge and not a binge. So not only were people drinking less, but they were drinking less harmfully. Wow. Okay. I, you said it perfectly fine, but I'm just going to say it back. Just, you know, people learn by repetition. So you're saying people who went through treatment, 
they mm -hmm. they may have made some changes either way they may have made some changes to their mm -hmm. drinking but if they had this drink refusal training mm -hmm. on the days when they did end up having some drinks it was it was pretty significantly lower it was three versus yeah. five which is a, mm -hmm. a big difference and, big and difference. yeah significant in that it really moves them from binge drinking into I guess what would you call it just drinking <laughs> just drinking really it's just just a, it's a drinking day because like you know for I think for women now like um for so these are only women in the study um and for women um heavy episodic drinking or binge drinking is four or more um and binge drinking is associated with a lot of like you know kind of gnarly outcomes like people are more likely to assault somebody be assaulted they're more likely to experience arrest as a result of their drinking things like DUIs things like long-term health problems um etc and I'm not here to like shame anybody for drinking or that but these are just the things that people report happening that are associated with that kind of hazardous drinking but the the needle moved sufficiently to where on the days that they were drinking they were drinking less and they were drinking in a way that was um more likely to promote um some good positive healthy changes for them Huh. Now, I feel like then people need to know about this drink refusal training. And, <laughs> and maybe maybe not everybody gets access to this kind of thing. But mm -hmm. a little part of me is wondering, like, is that one way you could be a good friend? Like, okay, I'm going to imagine I'm sitting with my friend, we're having tacos, he's telling me how he's trying not to drink anymore. And mm -hmm. it's been really difficult and social settings are so hard. Like mm -hmm. it might, it might be slightly awkward. It might be a little weird, but could I mm -hmm. offer to my friend, let's practice, let's practice refusing drinks. I mean, you could, um, the other thing that I have found and, you know, you have a counseling background as well. So you probably are aware of this too, but like people really hesitate to do role plays because they feel so like awkward and put upon. I get yeah. it. And, and that's what I tell them whenever I say like, I know it feels weird. I know it feels really artificial. I know it feels dumb. We're going to do it anyway. And here's why. Um, so, I mean, I think maybe just having kind of like a, a conversation with a friend and just saying like, Hey, like if it would be helpful for you to talk about this, you know, or bounce suggestions off of like how to kind of manage this situation. Like, I think that's probably the best thing that a, a friend can do um, because, you know, chances are someone's going to, someone is not going to want to practice it with, you know, they like it's, it's pulling teeth to get them to do it with like a mental health professional. Right. Yeah. Um, but with a friend, like they're, I think that they're, they're probably going to bulk and I get it, but just maybe being a person in their life that they can have a pretty like neutral conversation about it where they know they're not going to get shamed. They know that they're not going to get shit for having problems basically. I mean, because that's what people don't want. They don't want to be lectured. They don't want, they like, they know they fucked up in a lot of different ways. I mean, that's what gets people into treatment, you know, when they're like, my life is a mess and um, you know, judge said treatment or jail. So I chose treatment. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I, I mean, I think Hollywood would have people believe that, like, you know, it, it's a much more sanitary process than that, but it's it's not. The reality is, is that people make the decision to go into treatment when their lives are in chaos. And so having safe people in their lives that they can actually have a conversation about their fears and their concerns or not, maybe they, they, maybe they just want to have a person whom they can hang out with sober, but they don't have to make a big deal about it. You know, just like being a person whom like essentially promotes their sobriety without like, you know, embarrassing cheerleading. 
yeah, not every activity needs to be about your sobriety. It's exactly. Not, you know, it, it doesn't have to be, hey, let's go ice skating because you don't drink anymore. It's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe we could just go ice skating anyway. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> um, exactly. And and what what I suspect people may do and, and they mean well when they do it, but it's probably not very helpful is something like, oh, hey, don't worry about it. Just go to the party and drink what you want to drink. And don't, don't worry. Don't stress. Don't be nervous. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're Mm -hmm. often tempted to just kind of throw around these lines. Like, don't feel that way. Don't even think about it. And that's not helpful for someone who is genuinely worried about it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I mean, like your feelings are like, you know, your feelings are what they are, you know, we are not our thoughts, but the thoughts like, you know, the thoughts and the emotions like they, they, they go in places where we don't necessarily always want to go and anybody that's ever tried to kind of, you know, change how they think of things knows that it's not so easy, right. And so stressed out about something with good reason. Um, and so just being told like, well, don't, don't think like that is uh, just about the most unhelpful thing that somebody could say. And it is definitely coming from a place of love. It's definitely coming from a, like, I, you know, I want better for you. I want, I, you know, I, I want to help. And this is what I know to be helpful, even though like, I mean, it's really not like most people, like if they stop to think about it, like they don't really like being told that either. Right. Yeah. It brings up my sarcastic side when people say, yeah. oh, don't, don't worry about it. I go, oh, gee, thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like, well, that's a brilliant suggestion that I absolutely never would have thought of. You yeah. got any more up there, up your sleeve, you know, yeah. there, you wizard. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> my whole life is different now that you've told me not to worry about things. Right. exactly like there's this one episode of daria because i'm dating myself slightly and i really like daria and um she, like they daria and jane get hit on by these two creeps and the one the one creep is just like where have you two ladies been on our lives and she's like we've been here in this laundry room waiting for you and now that you're here our lives are complete so- <laughs> <laughs> oh that's definitely making the cut and staying in the podcast when this good yeah Yeah, I do love Daria. Anything I can do to promote Daria to the the next generation. (laughs) Oh my God. I was singing the musical episode the other day and like, you know, the and singing the manly song. Like, I don't know, like the musical episode when when Trent's like, it makes me feel like a bearded girl. (laughs) It's awesome. (laughs) I'm gonna have to find these. Thank you for that trip down memory lane. And hey, no problem. And and thank you for doing this with me, Ro. I mean, I this is I, I know you're a busy person and, and, you know, you're, you're out there fighting the good fight in many ways. And so for you to take <laughs> the time to do this, it's, it's really cool. Thank you for doing you know, it. I don't, I don't mind at all. I just, um, you know, I, I think that, I don't know. I, I really think that sobri- like a sober life can be like a joyful life. And that sounds kind of like lame and like, you know, like Pollyanna ish. I don't mean it like that, but I, I mean that oftentimes when people are facing trying to change years and years of sustained drinking it's so overwhelming and they have no idea how to do this like all of their whole lives are kind of like in some ways like built around this and so it doesn't feel like they can ever have a life where that's like you know not a part of it and so and and even just like going over to like a friend's house to like sit on the couch and watch Daria 
Like, how am I going to do that? Like, you know, this friend always likes to open a bottle of wine. What do I do? Like, um, is, is it going to be weird if I say no? You know, well, I mean, I'm not here to say like, it's never going to be weird, but you know, I am here to remind people like, even if it is weird, it's okay. Like if they're friends, if they're your friend, a few moments of weirdness is not going to be like the end of your friendship and you can tolerate, you can let, you can let the awkwardness wash over you, <laughs> which is something I say a lot, just let it wash, you know, and then, yeah. and then go on with your evening and have a good time with your friend rather than like sitting at home alone and thinking about how shitty your life is because you're not drinking anymore. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we talk so much about how our relationships with people matter and, and they're bi-directional, mm-hmm. right? Like there's two people yeah. involved here. So, you know, if you are the friend who realizes, oh, we're not just going to be sharing this bottle of wine tonight, you too can let the awkwardness just wash yeah. over you, mm-hmm. get over yourself and yeah. <laughs> move on. <laughs> yeah. You know, and cause it's really, it's not that big of a deal, honestly. Like it just, and it feel, and I mean, it is and it isn't, right? Like, I mean, for the person offering, it's not a huge deal generally. Like, um, you know, now where I think we can be helpful to our friends and, you know, colleagues, et cetera, that may be dealing with this is, you know, doing the stuff that you and I already talked about, like not pressing it, like, oh, you know, like, hey, I'm going to open a bottle of wine tonight, you know, and the other person says, well, actually, I'm not drinking, like, do you just have some water, just let it freaking go, like, yeah, yeah, sure, do you want some ice, or are you good with, with, you know, just, like, whatever, instead of it, you know, it being, like, a whole big thing, because, like, no, I mean, putting yourself in the position of, like, you know, the, the cake example, which I think people can also really relate to, like, no one really wants to like have to like have that conversation of like, well, no, I'm actually not eating it because my pants don't fit. Thank you very fucking much. <laughs> like, yes. you know, none of your business. Like, people just want to be left alone, right? I think we're gonna call this one "Mind Your Business." Mind your business. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be a good title for this one. Just mind your business. Just mind your business. You. Let people mm-hmm. be themselves. You know, and and you know if 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 let's go get beers becomes let's go get tacos i think that's okay oh yeah yeah like as a side note that's how me and my partner actually how our, our relationship sort of blossomed like i was living in the twin cities at that time and i wanted a taco buddy and um he was like well i'll go get some tacos with you and so we were going to like various taco places in the city and we that's how we got to know each other Someone said, let, I'll go get tacos with you. And then you never let him go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. It was just like, fine. <laughs> well, there's, there's another important life lesson. Just make sure you're available for tacos and you'll never be lonely.